Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, today's guest and co-host is the lovely and talented Jenna Elfman, who you know from Fear the Walking Dead, Dharma and Greg, and a whole lot more. Jenna and I talk about her and her husband's long-running podcast, Kicking and Screaming, her longer-running marriage, which is the subject of the podcast, the differences between sitcoms and zombie shows, driving fast, parking illegally, and more. Today's unqualified segment begins with a call from Patrick, who has been in a loving relationship for two years, but wishes that his partner's family knew that he was more than a roommate. Our second conversation is with Margaret, who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, ADHD, and autism all in the span of a year. After taking some time to reflect, Margaret wonders how this new understanding about herself relates to her family, friends, and potential partners. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, please look for the link at unqualified.com. I would love to hear from you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Jenna, I can't thank you enough for doing this podcast with me today. Thank you for having me. It's so cool. I think the trailblazing ground you've done with your podcast. And so it's really fun to be on it with you. I was going to tell you that you're my first guest that has been doing a podcast longer than I have. <laughs> has it been longer? Wow. It has. I think you started oh. in 2012. Yeah. Just to catch up our listeners, Jenna does a podcast with her husband called Kicking and Screaming. Can you tell us about it and how has the whole experience been for you? Yeah. So my husband and I have been together for 30 years, which like in dog years is an awesomely long time. I think the dog years and the Hollywood years, it's like the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyone who makes it this long in this industry of ours, I feel like a superhero, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually had been wanting to do a fun scripted show addressing all the nuances, glorious and annoying and everything in between on marriage. But I kept working on other shows and I'd been on Chris Hardwick's podcast back in 2000, I think 11 or 12. And he was encouraging me to podcast. And then when my husband and I were sort of talking about this subject matter, he was like, you know what, why don't we just talk about it? as a podcast, because people also go, how do you do it so long? How do you do it? And we literally always just say kicking and screaming, frankly. <laughs> so he said, let's just, you know, like I Love Lucy started as a radio show, you know, he goes, let's just start a podcast and let's just talk about the subject matter. And, you know, in our own, the way we talk and, you know, it can be a library ultimately for writers for a scripted show that we do. We never sort of intended it to be any, like a podcast right. that we really promote. Yeah, the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of caught ground and people from every aspect and angle into relationships tended to relate to it. And that's kind of how it began. And we're 
super inconsistent depending on what's going on in our life and schedule. So it's in fits and spurts, but always fun. And we don't plan what we're going to say. We hardly edit and we just go with it. And that's been also really fun too. I wanted to ask if you guys have ever argued after recording an episode. Well, we've argued on camera. We've (laughs) argued on the podcast. We had to actually pause a podcast while I went to the bathroom and cried once because he like totally got under my skin mid podcast. And, you know, Bodhi always likes it when we keep it really light and fun, but I've always argued for, listen, if it comes up, let's do it. Because I feel like the intimacy of navigating relationships is intimate, but to the point where hardly anyone ever gets to see other people work through their shit. Totally. And in this Instagram-y sort of social media world, what we see is the gloss. Yeah. Yeah. And especially as a public figure, you know, it's like, I feel like publicists are always protecting the image of the people and their relationships and who are they with? And we're like, listen, we're not going anywhere. We're with each other forever. So we're just going to lay it down and be super honest. And if it kind of goes there, well, then people who say, how do you do it? We'll see. This is how we do it. It's just straight up talk. And we just, you know, we have a few basic rules with each other and we just literally kick and scream our way through the communication, which is the main fundamental of our relationship is the communication. Do you mind me asking what the rules are? Sure. So we don't keep secrets. Like if we do something that breaks an agreement, you know, big or small, we just come clean. In the coming clean, we have rules, two rules, which is we do not make the other person wrong for coming clean. Oh, that's brilliant. I trust him so much. And he has such a good track record of being an incredible husband, though annoying, like all of us can be. But he doesn't stray. He's just so devoted and lovely. I really don't care what he does as long as he just comes clean. That's the most important thing because I think it's the secrets that drive people apart. And we're all basically good, you know? And when we do things that we feel bad about, we then kind of don't want to keep doing bad things, right? And so you find yourself keeping yourself from that person and down goes the communication. So even though it's supremely uncomfortable sometimes, we're totally honest with each other. We keep it straight up. And we make it safe for each other to do so. So we just listen. It's like, hey, I got to say something. I'm like, all right, what is it? He'll say it and I'll go, I get it. Thank you. Or in my head, noise, 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 comment, (laughs) judge, judge, whatever. But I just go, I get it. All right. So what do we need to do to help you with this or to help me feel okay about it? And we just, we're friends, you know? So it's kind of from the viewpoint of helping each other be able to stay present with each other. And I think If you're not honest or you stop communicating, you're not present with each other. And a relationship certainly doesn't stand on its own. It is only what the two people do to create it and put it there. No one else is making the relationship. It's not like when you get married, you check a box and marriage is done. Okay. And you go and put your attention on other things. That's just the beginning. Like you have to put it there every day. So keeping it honest and present to me has been a very successful action for us. I know you guys met at a callback for a Sprite commercial, is that right? Yes. And I kind of want to know about the genesis of your relationship. What was it about him and what was it about you that drew each other to each other? And did you always have an honesty and a frankness about your relationship? So we officially knowingly first met at that callback. Oh, but there was a different time. So it turned out. Later on, we're living together. We take a walk in our neighborhood to go have a cup of coffee at a coffee house. 
We're walking home and he hits the corner. He turns and looks at me and goes, oh my God, we met before we met. I was like, what? And then he reminded me and I was like, oh my God. And a whole story came out of that. So we had quote unquote met on this callback for a Sprite commercial. And you both got the job? We both got the job. So we're at the callback. He walks up to me and goes, you look exactly like my girlfriend. Do you have a headshot so I could take it home and show her? I was like, okay, well, yeah, sure. And then we get called into the audition room together. And the thing for the audition was, tell us a joke. Oh, no. I don't tell jokes. That wasn't my thing. And Bodhi was like, da, 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 like being very funny, telling a joke. But I found it very annoying. So I was already annoyed with him. Charmed, but annoyed. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I'll walk you to your car. I was like, okay. And I kind of had parked in some random person's carport because there was no parkings. It was like a very crowded audition place. And then he was giving me shit about parking in someone's carport. And I was like, well, and I'm justifying it, whatever. I gave him the photo, sent him home. He goes home and tells his roommate, this is the girl I'm going to marry. So he didn't have a girlfriend. He did have a girlfriend who looked exactly like me, but was a couple (laughs) years younger. (laughs) Totally weird. Super like she's the appetizer. It was the weirdest thing. His roommate's like, you don't even know if you're going to see her again. He says, I'm going to marry this girl. So he 100% knew. Then we pull up at the same time for the wardrobe fitting. And then I felt this overwhelming sense of home, familiarity and comfort. And like I was home. And like safety. Yes. Yes. I wanted to ask you about the idea of home and what you define home as. And it's really interesting that you identified in this you know, town of transition and uncertainty of safety and comfort and caretaking. Do you think that's accurate? Totally. He always had such a strong intention toward my well-being. No matter how annoyed I would get or in my sort of not yet evolved little mind at the time of being judgy and like whatever, he just would never back off from the intention for me to do well and to intend actions that helped me survive better. So that was the magic of Bodhi. And so then circling back to the we met before we met. So I was on a first date with a guy who I never had a second date with, but we were eating at this restaurant. Then we go next door to that coffee house and Bodhi was there. The guy I'm on a date with was like, oh, hey, man to Bodie because apparently they had been at a bar the night before and played a game of pool together. And then he introduced me to Bodie. And I remember being very captivated with Bodie and then being aware of the fact that I was captivated with him because it was very unlike me at that time because I was rather immature. I was 19 years old and I was kind of judgy about people. I just sat in like judgment. That's just who I was at the time. And I remember not being judgy about him and going, what is this feeling? I'm very interested in him, but it wasn't like, oh, I want to like get hot with him. It was like very spiritual and very connected. And so then we all went on our ways. Later on, I was in that neighborhood between auditions and I went there to grab a cup of coffee and I was kind of in the back of my mind hoping I saw him. And he was not like my usual type. I was like, I don't know. I was like going for different types at that time. And I thought I saw him and I got all excited. I got that feeling and I was like, hey, hey, I met you like the other night. And the guy was like, what? No, wasn't him. And I felt a little sad. And I was like, what 
is this feeling? I've never felt this before, but I wasn't mature enough to go, oh, this is love. I was just aware of a sensation of aliveness that I hadn't ever felt before. So then when we officially met, it all made sense. And that feeling to this day, if he were to walk in here, I get a little ray of light in me because he's my best friend. That is awesome. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. I feel the same way about my husband too, that there was like this instant sort of comfort and safety. And he's really good with direct eye contact, especially with me. Mm -hmm. And that was both unnerving and safe at the same time. Yeah, you feel seen. Like you feel like the person in front of you is seeing you, which this is how it was with Bodhi too. It was very annoying because I felt like he was seeing things in me that I had like left behind. Like he saw good parts in me that I felt I had abandoned about myself or lost about myself. And I found it uncomfortable to feel like he saw that. But I was so happy he did at the same time because I had never felt like anyone actually saw me. Mm -hmm. So it's been this beautiful journey. Yeah, when you feel like someone sees you for real, it's the most beautiful thing. But it is is uncomfortable. But I think it's the good discomfort. And then I do want to talk a little bit about your early love, if you don't mind. How old were you when you first felt like you were in love? It was probably with Bodie. I mean, other than the like cute boy when I was 11 that I was like obsessed with. (laughs) <laughs> that's valid <laughs> that may have been more lust um he was really cute but he didn't even know I existed because I was friends with his sister and I would just like be driving to the mall with my mom staring out the window listening to music on the radio uh-huh. like fantasizing about totally. him but I think now that I am older and I really understand what love really is mm-hmm. I think I have only had that with Bodie because I've never felt this with anybody else So I'd probably say it was when I was 19 when I first met Bodhi. So would you say that he has been one of the more formative people in your life? I think he's the one who's taken so much responsibility for my well-being that I've always, I don't know, I felt like I've learned the most about life from him and his honesty, what he's been through in his own life. We have very different upbringings, like drastically opposite. Will you tell us more about that? Yeah. Well, I just, you know, grew up in a tract house and my parents were together almost 60 years. In Los Angeles, right? Yeah, in the Valley, in Northridge, in a cul-de-sac. You know, my dad worked, mom did part-time jobs, but really drove us to ballet class and sports and whatever. Very traditional form of family. And Bodie was raised, you know, his mother and father kind of had like a one weekend stand. She was always gay. But she had a relationship with his father that weekend. They were both, you know, conga drummers and kind of had like an artistic affair. And she got pregnant with Bodhi. And he didn't really know his father or have a relationship with him until he was a teenager. And he was raised in the heart of Hollywood. He was born in 1969, raised like Sunset and Coanga. That was his neighborhood growing up as a boy. It was just like a very different set of circumstances, different environment, different influences of education from life, from school, from whatever. And his mom was an artist. His father's an artist, you know, and I was just in ballet class growing up and surrounded by that and the hard work. And my dad worked hard and I learned. So I'm like a hard worker, you know, type. And so our points of reference are very, very different. And it's been really cool to enhance each other and fill in blanks. And, you know, 
Bodhi has a very close relationship with his father now. They're great friends. But he didn't ever see in his own home what a father did, you know. So then when we had kids and my dad, like we loved babysitting, we had all the kids in the neighborhood come to our house. And so we were like, I always saw my dad around children and saw what a man does to his children, to his children's friends. You know what I mean? Like the caretaking, the humor, the whatever. So I found I would have these expectations when we had our first kid that he would just sort of naturally slide on in, you know, and like take the baby, do the burping, change the diaper, bring it back, you know, just sort of that natural organic dance. And he wasn't. And I was like, and tired, you know, I was like, what is your deal? Like, do you not want to help me with that? Am I getting all on my like soapbox about what are you, what are you doing? You know, that's hard. I'm doing everything. Yeah. And you know, you don't know what you don't know until you realize you don't know it. And then it's up to you. What are you going to do about it? He was like, I don't know what a father does in this moment. I don't know. I never saw it. Just, I'm willing to do anything. Just tell me what to do and I will do it. And I was like, of course. Oh my God, that's right. You didn't see it in action. That wasn't part of your education. Okay. I was like, take the baby now, burp it, please. He's like, I'm on it. And he would totally, but I had to just instruct him through it because it wasn't like an organic thing for him that was just in the back of his mind. So then he set upon this beautiful task of going to all his friends that are fathers that he respects, all different kinds of fathers. And he would go and watch them and ask them questions who had all different age so that he could get some like life skills about what a dad does and when and how. And I was like, that's amazing. And that's beautiful. He is one of the most amazing fathers to our boys I have ever seen. And I'm just so impressed by what he's done to fill in some blanks for himself. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. I love it that after all these years, you speak about each other with so much appreciation and gratitude, I think. It's really beautiful. Thanks. It wasn't without hard times, for sure. And our industry isn't always easy on relationships. So Darman Greg is streaming now on Hulu. Yeah. Uh-huh. How do you reflect upon it? What did you appreciate about the work circumstances? Because, you know, I think for most people in general, the grass is always greener. When you're doing a sitcom, you want to be doing something dramatic, like single camera stuff. When you're doing single camera stuff, you're like, oh, God, the hours I miss. (laughs) (laughs) Miss being home by 4.30. Right. (laughs) So will you tell us about your experience? Yeah. My first impression when I reflect on it was just, absolute joy and so much fun. Literally nothing I've ever gotten in my career has ever been handed to me. I've had to work and pound the payment for every single job I've ever gotten. I feel the same way. And it's only with age that the, I don't know, the jealousy of my peers where it feels like it's been just a a slightly easier road. Thankfully, that's lessened as I've gotten older. Yeah. I think there's always a story behind everyone's journey and we probably see about 3% of what it is for them and make many assumptions filling in the other 97%. So even if something was handed to someone, do they have any support system? You know, I mean, there's always going to be something for everybody that you know, if we get too hung up in our envy, then it's about us. Completely. You know? Instead of like just knowing that everybody has something, everyone's going through something, everyone's got a story, a journey, barriers, people that are against them, that they love and wish were supporting them, whatever it is, there's something. 
always, because this is life. This is what it is. But my memories of Dharma and Greg was, my goodness, it was like my second sitcom. I had been living off of the, you know, you have like those Arrowhead water bottles and you just throw your spare change in them. I was living off that. That was all I had. I would count it up. I'd go across the street to the market and live off ramen and cheese and tortillas. You know, I'd make jewelry, take it to acting class, sell it at acting class to get money, to get gas, to get home from acting class. So, well... You saved money, you know, by parking in other people's parking spaces. <laughs> I didn't have to pay the meter that day, <laughs> but it was created for me. Like, what? I'd done one show, it got canceled. I had a meeting at 20th and they made me a development deal. And I got to pick the writers to create a show for me. It's like, what? It was such a beautiful time. And the impetus and the excitement of my dreams coming true just sort of flooded that experience for me. And the casting, every actor on the show was just so great, like so well cast. And we just had fun. I mean, there's always moments of whatever, but it was like the main experience of that was fun. And that was my takeaway was my gratitude, the fun. It ended in a very anticlimactic way which was such a bummer after five years of such like crew. I mean, you know how we have these beautiful people you work with every day. It's intimate. Everyone's got skin in the game. You know, everyone's got families they're supporting or whatever their story is that's connected to this mutual experience. And it's precious to me. Time I spend with others creating is precious. And I know how many years I spent imagining and dreaming about having that in my life, to have it actually be happening, that's so precious. And I know how rare it is to, one, be on a show, let alone have it be a success. Mm -hmm. And I think at first, I probably took it for granted, not in a ill-intended way, but just in a very youthful thinking, this is how it's always going to be kind of way. And you don't know to have gratitude to that degree till you lose it. And you learn these life lessons as you go. But I was always grateful because I knew I was almost evicted, you know, leading up to it and everything. So I never threw that gratitude away. And I have it to this day for the job I'm on now. I just, I'm aware now of what a crazy world it is, how hard people have it trying to survive, trying to find happiness for themselves in whatever area of life they can scrape up to have some sensation of feeling connected to the world, feeling like they have a place of meaning in this world. And when you have these beautiful opportunities, I don't know, I just look upon that time and it kind of sparkles in my memory because it was special. I love that. We have a mutual friend in Mimi Kennedy yeah. who was on Dharma and Greg and mom, and she just adores you so much. Oh. And she looks back on that experience, I think the same way you put it, with a lot of joy. She loves, as do I, performing live, a version of, it's like the most idealized version of a live audience you could imagine. Yeah. Because <laughs> you get to yell cut and yeah. do it over if you mess up, but yeah. they'll still be entertained and by it. <laughs> oh, what happened? You know, we shot on Friday nights and it was always like an overwhelming thrill. Even if the week had been kind of a grind or a little hard, you know, it was just always amazing to see people that were so happy to be there, that were fans of the show consistently. And you must have had that as well. Do you miss any of that element? Would you ever return to this format? Do you want to play my sister in a, like, 
You can be the lead. I'll be number two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am down. I totally miss the live. Oh God, I just love that energy. I love it. And I love the suspense of comedy. You know, being able to take the audience, have them track you know, your belief system as you're going through these lines to mislead them, to have them suspend and then turn and then have them be surprised by the turn. Ah, and then they laugh. Like, what a beautiful communal set of agreements that we never talk about. Uh-huh. You know, like the audience is like, okay, we're here and we're agreeing that we're going to have this experience together and we're going to let you take us on an imagination journey, even though you're right in front of us and there's cameras in between us. Like, I think that's kind of amazing that everyone just decides for those few hours that we're going to like agree on this make-believe situation. It's spectacular. And I would totally do it again for good writing. You know, there's not a lot of multi-cam with a live audience shows. I know. I know. It needs a reinvention of sorts or something. I feel like you're like the last great hoorah of success on this. And I do miss it. My kids and I like, oh my God, we're watching Seinfeld and loving it. I'm all for great writing in whatever format it comes in. You know, I have no problem with anything if it just feels right and it's fun. Yeah. It's been really nice to go and do Fear the Walking Dead because I needed a change. I was craving a change. I felt like I became a woman and I've had experiences and I wanted to communicate creatively through that lens of my womanhood Mm -hmm. as opposed to my girlhood. And so now I feel like, okay, if a fun comedy were to come my way, like I could go back into that and enjoy myself as opposed to feeling like I'm grinding on it. So yeah, I just want fun writing and a great character that I feel like you can connect to, you know? Will you tell us about Fear the Walking Dead or what you can about it? Yeah. So we're in the middle of season seven right now. So the first half has aired and the next half will return in April. It has been an incredible journey for me to take a character who starts off very broken and has had such trauma, she can't even connect with others. She lies about her, who she is and her name just because she can't bear to connect with people. The loss has been too great and there's no room for any more loss. To find love, to kind of rehabilitate her spirit again and learn some skills and come out of her shell, confess to her true identity, to then have loss, to then, you know, it's just been like a lot of fun. Turning 50 while playing this character and getting to lean into portraying a woman who's going through things. It's an honor. It just feels really great. And the genre is really fun. And the infrastructure for the Walking Dead universe is pretty amazing. And is it like hours and makeup? Like how does all of the technical stuff affect you? Well, I think all the background and stunt performers who are zombies, they have to really put in a lot of time with special effects makeup. For those of us that are like the survivors, the heroes, telling the human stories, it's actually amazing how long it does take to make it look like you have no makeup on and you just have dirt on your face. Right, 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 right. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's crazy. But no, it's not so bad. And that was actually kind of like a relief to not do a beauty show or not have to worry about my vanity of any kind and just lean into the humanity. I've been digging that. But the crew, again... You're spending many, many hours, they're spending many more hours than you are as an actor, trudging through such dramatic weather on both ends of the spectrum from heat and humidity to rain, mud, freezing, 
here in Texas. And they are working so hard to support the story. And they are all so good at what they do. Oh, that's awesome. To be on a set and look around at each department and this group of people in each department that are so good at what they do. I love learning all the time. It's something that makes me feel very fresh is to constantly be learning. And so to watch competent artists work in a field that I know nothing about and to keep learning about it from the cinematographer to the grips to the production designer, the props people, sound. Mm -hmm. I never take it for granted. I never stop looking and paying attention and feeling admiration. Did you do that when you were younger? I think I was too focused on not getting fired to pay attention. I wasn't aware enough to pay attention at all. That's why I think I value it so much now because I realized how many experiences I had where I wasn't paying attention. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I should know more about certain things than I felt like I did. I mean, I was like, I don't know, I was dancing in a 1984 commercial for, I don't even remember what, for the Olympics. And I did extra work as a kid, as a teenager. You know, I've been on sets since I was like 11. And I felt like I didn't know anything, although I did. But I realized, again, like that's part of youth. You're consumed with yourself because you are coming up and learning and having experiences for the first time. Then you start getting some distance and you start having a more 360 view of experiences or you have children and you start seeing life through their eyes. You're getting all these layers of experiential knowledge that broaden your perspective. Then you realize what you do know. And then that kind of informs how to approach what you don't know. Mm -hmm. But you don't have that to inform what you don't know. You're just like, I don't know, but I'm right. It's amazing how stupid we are when we're young and how the irony of how much you think you know and how assertive you are about <gasps> what you know. <gasps> it's like amazing to have that much confidence and know nothing. Like <laughs> it's, it's amazing. But yeah, I just feel much more spiritually rich now that I'm been living my life longer. I think I'm really enjoying life much more now. Completely. You get accustomed to believing that film sets are normal with this, I don't know, frivolous empowerment. Not that it isn't nice to have someone bring you breakfast. Well, it is a very alternative universe. It's nothing like a normal life. It is not normal. So there is no point of reference to compare it to because there's nothing that compares to it. It's such its own beast. Who have been the actors that you've learned from? Can you name one or two? Well, I learn from everybody because if I see people behaving badly, I learn from that uh -huh. completely because I see the effect it creates, you know, and you start to see what's the purpose here and where is this coming from and look at the effect it creates and how it affects productivity and creativity and it's so destructive. And just joy on set when everyone's working such long hours. Yeah, and then you have graceful people that, you know, Greg Nicotero, who on The Walking Dead, you know, he's responsible for all the walkers, the special effect makeup. He, that's where he started. He started directing and he's like, directs some of the most amazing episodes over on the original show on The Walking Dead. And I remember doing my first Comic-Con and <laughs> it was just this little gesture, but I had never been on a stage in front of like 8,000 fans before. And then it was just, you know, coming on to a show that had already been on the air and I'm like new and it was just like a lot. And it's Comic-Con. Yeah, it's Comic-Con. How many people get this experience? <laughs> yeah. And he was like such a gentleman and he goes, come here. And he just kind of opened the curtain and like, he was just look at them before you go on stage. Just, just take a look and just look at it. So it's not the first time you're looking at it when you're on stage. And 
he was taking such care and was, I mean, that was a tiny little beautiful gesture. I so appreciate that though. Yeah. And he was just like thoughtful because I think I was a little quiet off in the corner and um, I was like, this is just a lot. I think I learned the most from people who have done and accomplished a lot and they're graceful and down to earth and they're still attentive about other people and other people's experiences. And, you know, like Lenny James, who plays Morgan, he's such an outstanding actor and I have such admiration for him. And so we're in scenes and I'm, you know, whenever we're working together, I just study him and learn from him and watch him because I haven't had that many experiences with those kinds of actors. You know, I've been doing a lot of comedy. And so it's just like, it's a whole nother layer of experience. And when you find masters that are also gracious, Mm -hmm. uh, I think I learned the most from people like that. Mm. And it's kind of applicable to life in general, where that sort of confidence leads to grace without ego. Jenna, do you have any fears that might be labeled as irrational? Well, I think fear has many angles of view Mm -hmm. to say it's irrational or, you know, label it as a thing. I don't know how anyone's better now for saying that's irrational. Right. Well, okay, but I have it. So what do you want? You know, I think the way into turning the volume knob down on the discomfort of fear is always to just gain more knowledge about the thing that you're scared of. Because the more you know about something, the more you have your own skin on doing something with it, as opposed to having it do something to you. I love that advice. Yeah. If something scares you, just learn more about it. and It will probably be a little less scary. That's what I've found. What was the other thing? Oh, intimidation. Competence, because I admire it so much. I get a little intimidated by people who have accomplished being a master at what they do. Because I I think so highly of competence in any area, whether it's someone coming to fix my AC or an artist, a painter, a leader, whatever. When people are competent, it's so inspiring to me. Like it's the most beautiful thing in the world that it makes me want to be better at anything I'm doing. But I have that first, I think that bite of intimidation is that realization, whether you realize it or not, that you don't know enough about something in your own area. Yeah. You know, so again, I think it just goes back to gaining knowledge about something and that's empowering. If you could go to sleep tonight and acquire a skill or an ability, what would it be? I think I would love the ability to sing. There's two things. I loved the ability to fly an airplane at the top of competence like even a fighter plane or something. I don't want to shoot any bombs out of it. I just think it'd be fun to fly fast and do cool stunts. So the flying sort of suggests you have some daredevil aspirations. For sure. I definitely have that. Wait, then will you tell us about something like, I don't know, have you been skydiving? Like, No, I haven't done that, but I did do a celebrity amateur car race in the Long Beach Grand Prix. What? It was so scary and fun. I had never even driven a stick before. I didn't know about downshifting or anything. And in four days, I had to like learn everything about the apex of the turn, when to brake, when to downshift, speeds going in and out of turns. Oh my God, I would have loved that. <sighs> it was really, really cool. And I worked very hard to learn all the techniques so I could be very good at it in my four days. And I got on the back of a pro racer motorcycle where they dragged their knee, you know, they go really fast oh around God. the track. And I put on full leathers, got on the back of the bike and had him race me around the track at full speed, dragging our knees. Around. Were there like tears streaming down your eyes? 
I am the most calm the faster I'm going. Do you drive fast? Not anymore, but I did, yes. <laughs> and then I just kind of was like, okay, I've done that. And I'm, I'm not such a fast driver anymore. But I do like daredevil-y things that are within reason, not like where you're irresponsible, but where you learn something about something and it's kind of scary, but you know enough that you can like do it, Mm -hmm. but it's still thrilling. I like that. But yeah, I think that's my way into fear is I look, if something scares me, I look more at it and learn more about it. I like that transition of feeling like something's got its fangs in me and then I can kind of pluck the fangs out and the discomfort out by reaching and looking and learning something. And then, I don't know, that's growth for me. Back to the carport idea of illegally parking or what, I don't know what the legal ramifications would be. (laughs) More like bad manners. (laughs) But do you regularly sort of violate those untalked about agreements between human beings that we have? Yeah. No, I do not. I really try and respect other people's experience as much as I can. And I really value the golden rule. Like I think it's like really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that some of the hardest times in my life was when I was really violating the golden rule. Oh, interesting. And I created upset for others and myself because I didn't put myself in their shoes or consider how I would feel if it was done to me. The positive and the negative side of the coin apply. And since I've been trying to be more attentive to that, I see how powerful that is. And I think we have to be very patient with each other Mm -hmm. about each other's blind spots because everybody has different experiences that have quote unquote taught them that they may not realize that that was a wrong lesson. That was wrong information that they think was right because it maybe came from a loved one or someone they respect and they don't even realize. And I think that we get so fast and harsh to judge and stamp on people I don't think anyone would want to be stamped and nullified for a blind spot or a transgression when, how about we just kind of go, hey, like, did you mean to do that? Because maybe you don't know. Here's the thing for me. And if we all just kind of mutually agree to just listen and be patient and like learn something because it doesn't fit your experience, doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. So I think it's a big thing. I think it goes like a long way for everyone to just kind of take a breath and boy, just try to be a little more patient and tolerant of each other. I think this conversation leads well into our caller. Yeah, let's do it. Our first caller is Patrick. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, 
Patrick. Hey, Anna. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you so much for your lovely letter. And I'm really happy to be talking with you. And this is Jenna, who is amazing. Hi. Patrick, will you tell our listeners what's going on? Yeah, so basically, I'm in a very healthy, loving relationship going on two and a half years with this guy that I couldn't have even imagined in my past. Uh, We're both in our 30s now, and he, you know, he checks every box. He's just such a wonderful, loving, he's funny, he's smart, he's handsome, he's thoughtful, everything you could ever imagine. The only caveat is that he is not out to his family, and they live about an hour away from where we live now. And I would never want to put any sort of pressure on anyone to, you know, come out because it's such a huge life moment. And for me, I mean, it was easier than I thought it would be, but I know it's different for everyone. It's situational and I would never want to apply pressure. But we're sort of at the point now where we live together, we have a life together, and this is kind of like the elephant in the room. And it's something that, you know, if we're with friends and he mentions, you know, he's going home to his family, they'll be like, oh, are you going to? And I kind of really don't. Like, I don't want to bring it up, but it has caused uncomfortable conversations with people outside of kind of our sphere. When he goes home, do you go with him? No, his family just is completely to them. I'm his roommate who, you know, watches the dog. I actually, I met his dad for the first time, like a month ago when he showed up unexpectedly. And I was just like, I had no idea what to say. And he was really friendly. Did you feel like your heart gripped with fear? Or like, how did that go? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of like, I had no idea what to say. Because he was, he was really friendly and he was like, hey, you know, you should come visit us sometime. And I didn't know how to respond to that. It was like, I don't want to put either one of them in a weird situation. But also I like was completely shocked. It was just... It sounds like, Patrick, that you yourself are incredibly understanding and you value the relationship more than this issue, which must, I would think, hurt your feelings a little bit. And maybe you also want him to be able to just grow. Am I off base with this? No, I mean, that's 100% true. What does he say when you guys have talked about it? Like, what's his point of view? What's his reality? Like, what does it look like for him? What's the experience for him? Because if he's not out to his family, that's like a giant barrier of communication and everything for all involved. It honestly kind of changes. He was very open about it from the very start. You know, he was like, first of all, he's bisexual. I'm his first boyfriend. So up until then, you know, he he only had girlfriends. And so this was like a whole new thing for him. He's introduced me to all of his friends and we get along well. And now we're kind of, like I said, creating this sort of life together and it's wonderful. But the first time I brought it up, I was in a sad mode and, you know, he was very honest. He's like, I don't think my parents will take it. Well, he has a brother who also lives where we live. And he said, like, they were getting married and he's like, after the wedding, I don't want to stress him out anymore. Then, Then I'll come out to him and then I'll kind of start there. And I feel like he just keeps putting it off. And when other people bring it up, because my friends and my family are, you know, like, this is unfair for you. Like, why can't he just make this move and you guys can move along, you know? But I understand where he's coming from significantly more than any of them. He has kind of insinuated that he's like, this could just cause like a huge rip in my family. And like, I don't know them. So I don't, I don't really know if I'm being selfish. I'm so happy that you're in this awesome relationship. And I think that you sound like you're really empathetic and very understanding And I do understand when friends and family get involved with anything, if they're loyal, they fight your fight for you almost without nuance. 
Yeah. And I would hate for anything to encourage any distance between you and the man that you love. But what I do want to ask you is how often does he go to visit his parents? Like, are you without him a lot? And maybe if the timing's right, I wonder how he feels by keeping this. Again, they're only about an hour away. So he'll go home for, you know, holidays, like major holidays. And that's kind of when it sort of comes up. And I know that's a common theme and, you know, but probably once a month. And it's only for like a weekend or a day or two. But at the same time, it's just this weird, unspoken, you know, like we have great communication, but I just know that this is a touchy subject for him. And I'm kind of wondering if I should just push him a little bit further or if I should just kind of like be patient. I think you should be patient personally, because I think in any relationship, two years is incredible, but you're not in the mutual, we have a foundation of deep roots together. I feel like two years is still relatively new as far as relationships go. And this is being his first relationship in a new format for him. Like totally understand your point of view because you want to expand, right? Like it's sort of like when you find this great relationship, you then want to expand and expand your community with your relationship, expand your experience and be free with yourself and, you know. And be able to hang out with his family for the holidays. Yeah. But at the same time, this sounds like it's pretty mega. And, you know, the thing is, is his family was there long before you arrived and his entire existence is with these people who raised him, who's put in the time with him. And he probably obviously would love their blessing and support, but that probably needs, that's going to be a nuanced thing, especially if he doesn't feel like they're obviously made it clear that they're immediately receptive to this thing in his life. Him having you in his life and him having a different form of a relationship. If he's not like, yeah, they'd be cool with it and let's go. So it feels like if this is such a new thing for him, he probably needs to get his footing for himself. But if he's saying to you, I am in, like I am committed, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Well, then you guys have to like start working towards a plan. Do you know what I'm saying? If there's like this, let's do this. And there's some kind of mutual agreement that you guys are each other's it person then yeah, you kind of probably need to start looking at how to approach it. But if you guys are just having a great relationship and it's going well, but you're not like proclaiming the rest of your life together necessarily, then maybe just keep supporting him, keep contributing to empowering him and his confidence and his well-being and you know, be there as a friend for him. Because if you continue to be a friend, then he knows he's safe to rely on you when he does want to open up to his parents and it gets rocky because one side's going to have to be there for him, you know, but that's my take. Have you guys like professed we're in for good? Are you there yet? I mean, essentially, I mean, like, like I said, we live together. We have a joke, like an ongoing joke, like we went on the first date, I stayed the night and I never left. Like that's just how quickly, like I was never really a relationship person. All three of us have this in common. (laughs) Yeah. When you know, you know, like you're just like, oh, I'm home. Yeah. Like I said, like he just everything I could possibly want in a person. And on our first date, I was just like, this is going to happen. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I really, really appreciate everything that you said. And you kind of just like read my mind. And I agree with you. You mentioned that his brother got married. Is that right? Yes. Do they have kids? 
No, they were living in the same neighborhood as us for about a year and a half. And like his brother would come over for dinner and I would kind of have to like leave. And I helped him write his best man speech. It was just like a very complicated time. You're like acting. You're playing a role yeah. of the roommate to the family. You have like an acting job. <laughs> I'm wondering if you could have a date night. You guys open up a bottle of wine at home or something and you ask him, okay, let's go through the whole spectrum of scenarios of what could happen going from they disown you to you know we love you no matter what and please bring Patrick around like there's a whole lot of shades in there I doubt it will be one extreme or the other right yeah and the thing is like he's kind of made comments about them being like somewhat approving like they're not like aggressively homophobic or anything so i don't think that it will be like that extreme but i mean i think he's just kind of the person who's always just like assuming the worst does he say i want to i'm just not ready or is he like i'm just too afraid of their response and i'm not ready to receive that kind of emotion right now i need more time i need to kind of get my skin in this like is that kind of where his head is at for like the past like year and a half and he's been like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to talk to them. After the wedding, I'm going to have the conversation and I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid. It seems to me like he just kind of keeps making excuses. He'll just be like, oh, I'm going to wait until this point. Or like he just keeps pushing back further and further and further. And I've never, ever once been like, can you just please do this? That's remarkable. Mm -hmm. That's so generous. It speaks a lot to your character, Patrick. Thank you. And to your relationship that you are letting him kind of feel this whole thing out. But I do think in that same vein, like exploring what could happen, because I'm sure in his brain, it's there all the time. Right. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like for me, when I was kind of coming to terms with myself and coming out, like I was the same way. I was like, you know, my family was going to just completely cut me off. Thankfully, they were really like, oh, great. You know, cool. It's fine. It's like I had a very wonderful experience and i've been out for like 15 years now like no problems whatsoever for our listeners i think they'll find this really helpful will you tell us sort of how that went and how nervous you may or may not have been to come out to your folks yeah i mean honestly i always knew that i was gay it was just a thing that i've known since i was a kid and I really didn't like have a coming out moment. Like I started telling my friends probably when I was like 15 or 16, you know, one by one. And it was this whole to do every time. And it was just like, I'm so sick of this. This is so annoying. This is so ridiculous. And then I just kind of started dating guys. And I was like, you know what? It is what it is. And thankfully, everyone important in my life was very open to it and very like sweet about it. But it's so, first of all, it's so stupid that people even have to I know. go through that process. Yeah, it is. Is one of his parents more safe for him than the other where he feels like when the time is right, like, you know, you can talk with him about having the conversation, you know, maybe start with one? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that one of the parents would be more, you know, receptive than the other. Again, I think his brother would probably be like the safest place to start because he's the kind of person who... He takes on the stress and anxiety of the people around him. Yeah. And he knows that his brother's stressed out and he like he just what moved a good man. across the country. He knows that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's the sweetest, but you yeah. know, like the one thing that is hard to deal with is like he'll be so stressed out and be like, What's wrong? And he'll be like, Well, this person in my life is going through this. And I'm like, Okay, like I feel terrible about that, but you can't take on that much stress from so many other people just because like it's a hard way to live, you know what I mean? Like you're yeah. just gonna be anxious and 
that's kind of what he's been telling me. Like, if I do make this decision, if I do have this conversation with them, it's just going to stress them out. You know, he's like, my brother is a very busy person. He's just going to be more stressed and he doesn't need that. I don't want, like, I don't want to put that on him. Well, I don't think they'll be stressed when they see how happy and content and what a long, stable, awesome relationship you guys have had. But I do think that timing is tricky. Right. That's why I wonder if it will make your partner feel a little bit, not better, it'll still be a high anxiety conversation, but imagining the different scenarios and being able to truly talk out kind of each different one from the one where they're just like, oh, come here, yay, we love you, to the one where it's like you're cut off or whatever, like asking him, who do you expect to kind of hurt your feelings about this? Who do you expect would be more open? And what if that person isn't? Walk through all the different ideas because he has been kicking it down the road. He wants to do this. He knows it's going to be hard. He doesn't know how hard. And so maybe if you could help him imagine the best and the worst and all the in-betweens on a fun date night that maybe you've set up. And I would also say, you know, as we have this conversation, I do want you to know that there's no time pressure here. There's also something to how you talk, you know, I think, Anna, what you're saying is so lovely because to practice the scenarios when you actually do it, it's not the first time you're experiencing it because you kind of do a mock-up of all the, yeah, the, you know, the scenarios, but like maybe suggesting, because in his head, he probably has it like, hey, mom and dad, this is sort of my life. Blech. And then you expect this reaction that is so uncomfortable. But maybe, you know, if he enlists, like, I need your help with compassion and empathy on something that is important to me that I want to go over with you guys. But I need to enlist everything that you were put on this earth as a parent to be, which is helpful, loving, tolerant, understanding. I need help from you to go over something. You know, if there's a way to practice this, putting the parents in the headspace of their purpose as a parent, yes, which is to love and help and support your children. If they seem like they're kind of oriented to being slightly, you know, common sense people. It's always great to flatter somebody, say like, you've been the most supportive, amazing parents that I could ever imagine. I want to tell you something that's been hard for me. And parents are loving if they see their child happy, that's kind of all you want. Like all you want. Like all you want. <laughs> there isn't anything I want more for my boys than to feel that they are themselves. Like every choice I make, every comment, you know, that I work so hard that have come out of my mouth is to enhance their confidence and right to be themselves and have their own point of view and their right to experience life how they wish to experience it. And you just want them to feel like they're in their own skin and happy and have some kind of purchase on life and leverage of ownership in their own feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. Literally all I want for my children. Hopefully that's their mindset. I also wonder, I keep going back to the brother. Enlisting the brother would be a good way to have an ally, somebody who knows first. They'll always feel a little more loyal. I think that's a great idea. And in my opinion, it's like his brother seems like a very nice, kind, understanding. But at the same time, everyone's sort of 
coming out is different. So yeah, mm-hmm. Patrick, I think you're so wise to not take this personally. That's very mature of you, I think. Thank you. You want his happiness and your relationship to succeed more than this issue breaking it up. Yeah, I think that's like the most perfect way to kind of wrap it up. And like, that's exactly how I feel. Well, I appreciate how thoughtful you are. Well, he's lucky to have you. Patrick, I'm really happy for you. Thank you so much. I'm. This was so helpful. It was a pleasure speaking with you. This whole conversation will be really helpful to a lot of people out there. You know, like just talking about this stuff means a lot. So thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for listening. Honestly, if anything, it was just nice to talk about it with someone who is not choosing sides, you know. I really hope that you both are happily surprised. I hope so, too. Thank you so much, Patrick. Nice talking to you, Patrick. Bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I thought your advice was fantastic. I also felt like he was already coming from such a loving place. He's very sweet. That is such divergent experiences they have. You know, they're coming from like two very, very different, like having nothing to do with the parents or anyone knowing, but just for yourself, you know, that's a big shift. Either he's like, oh my God, what have I been doing for 40 years? Finally, I'm home. Or it's a journey for him. Who knows what his experience is for himself, just solely within his own thing, let alone, you know, how do you go and tell other people? If you're still going through your own thing on it, like he might still be wrapping his own head around where he's at with this. How does this fit on him? You know, there's so much to what could be going on in his mind that maybe he may not even be ready to be sharing with his partner yet. So it's very one side of the perspective. And we're like talking about ways to solve it without talking to the person who's going through it. So it's a little bit of like, there's a huge vacuum there of reality because we don't know what he's actually going through. But I thought it was remarkably mature of Patrick to not take it personally. Yeah, it's very mature. Yeah. But he's excited, you know, he like loves being with him and he wants to share it. He wants to, you know, it's got to be exhausting to have to hide it and navigate. And like when the guy's dad comes over and you're like, just taking care of the dog. Yeah. That's stressful. Like I understand Patrick wanting to feel free and just enjoy the relationship fully without any inhibitions, restrictions, considerations. Like that's hard. That is hard. That's very hard for a partner. Yeah. I think they might be pleasantly surprised. I hope so. Okay. So shall we talk to Margaret? Sure. 
Hi, Margaret. Hi, Anna. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Hi, Jenna. Margaret, thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Sure. So the pandemic so far has been like a really pivotal time in my life. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I suffered an emotional breakdown. I had a pretty serious psychotic break. And I guess I should talk a little bit about before and then what's happened since. Um, So before the pandemic, I was a struggling actor. I'd been in New York for about four years. I moved here pretty spontaneously after a pretty big argument with my family. And then I was just immersed in like hustle culture and like really trying to make it. And I think I really exhausted myself and I internalized a lot of really bad advice and um, a lot of toxicity in my work culture. And so then like right before the pandemic, I got out of a really bad relationship with a guy who really took advantage of me. And that was the first time I had ever experienced that. And it really hurt me to my core. And so that was December of 2019. And so I was like, 2020, this is going to be my year. I'm going to get back on the horse. You know, I'm just going to like really hustle and girl boss it and like really be an actor now. Right. And so then in March, the pandemic hit. And were you still in New York? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so at the time that was the epicenter, like no one knew what was going on. And I was like, oh my God, like we're all going to get sick. I'm going to die. And so I think that anxiety really set me off. So I had a psychotic break and with my traumatic childhood, I know like I'd always been really good at coaching myself out of stuff. And so Yeah, I just thought that I could get through it on my own, but then I realized that I really needed help, like real psychological help. And so I pursued therapy for the first time in in my life, and it was amazing. It has been amazing. Good. So my doctor put me on medication, and like we did some testing and stuff, and so I found out that I have bipolar disorder, unfortunately. And so that was my first really big shock. And then after starting my bipolar medication, my executive functioning and my attention like really suffered. Um, I'd always had issues with attention in school and stuff, but I just kind of like ignored it. And as I grew up and became an adult, I like figured out my own systems and stuff. And so whatever. And so my doctor was like, sometimes bipolar meds can exacerbate other issues like ADHD. And so I thought, well, that wouldn't be a shocker. So I got tested for ADHD. That came back positive. And then that doctor suspected something else. And she asked me if I would be willing to take a different test. And I said, yes. And so it was pretty long. It asked me a lot of questions about my childhood and everything. And Oh, that must have been intense. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then it was especially intense because I discovered that I am autistic. And so three big diagnoses in 18 months. Was there a sense of relief? Yeah. So it was like a bunch of different things. It was like relief and happiness, but also anger and sadness. I was like relieved because I'd always kind of felt like an alien. And so I was relieved to know that there's a name to what I have been feeling. I was happy to discover that I'm not the only one who feels like this. There are other people like me. I was sad because I was thinking about the little girl that I was who always really struggled in school, both academically and socially. And I was angry for her too, because I thought, you know, I'm 27 years old. 
why has it taken this long for me to discover this about myself? And why didn't I get the discovery and the help that I should have gotten in childhood to really set myself up for like true success in adulthood? And um, with that anger kind of put like a fire in my belly. And so I was like, I'm sick and tired of sitting around in quarantine. I want to do something. I want more purpose. Like I'm going to put acting to the side for a second and try something else. And so on a whim, I joined something called the New York City Teaching Fellows. It's like a fast track program. You like get trained over the summer and then you start working in the fall. You're fully certified and then you take college classes. And after two years, you get a master's. And so I'm I'm currently qualified and working as a special education teacher. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Look at what a beautiful... That's so beautiful of you. (laughs) Thank you. And very proactive. Like, good for you. Thank you. It feels really good to, like, be able to help people like me and, like, be involved in those kids' lives. But that was such a crazy whirlwind of a summer. And now that I feel like I really have the hang of my job and everything, I want to get back out there and, like, meet new people, like, make friends, you know, start dating again. But... (laughs) it's like, I feel like a completely different person. Like as a former actor, honestly, it feels like I was cast in a role yesterday. I've been given the script and I've been pushed out on stage, not knowing my lines and not feeling comfortable in my character. I feel like a stranger to myself. And I also feel like I lost a lot of friends because I was embarrassed about all of this. And so I was really reclusive, even with my family too. And I guess to conclude, my main issues are like, how do I make friends from scratch as an adult? How do I divulge really sensitive information like neurodiversity or mental illness to like strangers, like, you know, potential friends and stuff? What do I do if I'm met with prejudice because obviously like discrimination never feels good. And then I think the big one is, I'm really embarrassed and sad to say this, but like, I can't help but feel like I'm defective. Like I have this internalized prejudice against myself that I'm really trying to shake. Like I I can't help but feel like I'm the crazy girl. I'm the disabled girl. Like who's gonna wanna be my friend? Who's gonna wanna love me, you know? So, So that's everything. Oh man, I can't thank you enough for being so open. I know that this conversation that we're having will be helpful to so many people, Margaret, so thank you. Also, though, I don't think you're a former actress. It can always be there if that is a love of yours. It really can. I think it is so impressive that you are the kind of person that's like, you know what? I want to be more active in my own life, and so therefore I'm going to become a teacher. That is just remarkable. Thank you. And I think the two are actually pretty linked. I think so too. It's surprisingly performative and creative Mm -hmm. and like, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's very spontaneous and I'm on my feet a lot. Yeah. It feels like acting sometimes. Good. These kids need someone who has a playful soul Mm -hmm. who can stand there in front of them and with them and create and listen and totally track with them with absolute understanding, but without a load, with instead a playful spirit of like understanding them, encouraging them to create and reach and communicate. You know, I think 
The second I saw your face, I know. Honestly, you, you shine. Thank you. You are lovely and you are so valuable and you are a gift. But that being said, boy, what a year you've had. And yeah. let's just all give that a big old acknowledgement. Yeah. Okay. Like, holy cow, you've been through a lot. Yeah. And on top of that, the bigger societal thing that so many of us went through, which is like being trapped in our homes. Yeah. How is your relationship with your family now? So, um, a little bit of backstory on my family. So, my mom died when I was a kid, and my dad was pretty like verbally and emotionally abusive, and we never got any therapy or anything in the wake of that. And he's always had a really antiquated perspective on mental health. He always said like, you know, just buck up and deal with it. You know, if you want to cry, don't cry in public. Go to your room and deal with it there. You know, like it's all in your head. That's for weak people. You know, like it's not real. You're either strong or you're not. And so my siblings and I, I think we really internalize that. And so we're not really open about really sensitive things like this. Mm-hmm. Like we never talk to each other about dating or anything like that. So I haven't talked to my father in some time. He's completely cut out of my life and it's just me and my siblings. And I live up here in New York and they live down in Virginia. And we don't really see each other very often. Like I haven't seen them at all during the pandemic. It's been almost two years. And so- Are you close with your siblings? You know, emotionally, even if you haven't seen each other, but is it a sense of home and connection for you, your relationship with them? When we were kids and when we were going through all of that together, I think we were really bonded. But now that we've all gone our separate ways in adulthood, we're not as close as we were. And we've all really changed as people. And so sometimes when we go and like see each other, we can feel like strangers. And we're all like my whole family, we're all like really introverted. And so we're not ones to like call each other randomly. Like I don't feel like I have to call my siblings every week. You know, it's like maybe once a month, whatever. And so going back to feeling embarrassed and shy and scared about all of this stuff going on in my life, I pushed a lot of friends away because I was afraid to tell them. But I think I really pushed my family away too. And so I'm... Yeah, I'm going to see them for the first time in like a week. Oh, I was going to ask you. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to see them for the first time in such a long time. And I have no idea how to bring it up. I have no idea how to talk to them about it because it feels like a really sad thing. Like the last time I really divulged something really big like this. So like side note, I'm bisexual. And when I came out as gay, I knew that it was like because of the time that we are in, I'm very blessed to like have grown up in a culture in which that was really okay. And so I knew that it would be something to celebrate. And so when I came out, everyone was like, oh, yay, awesome. Thanks for telling us. And so that was like a really big thing that I shared with everyone, but I knew that it would be like a happy thing to talk about. But this is like, I'm sick. I'm mentally ill and I have a disability. And this feels like something really looming and sad. And I'm afraid that I'm going to spark more sadness in my family, like more than there already is. I mean, we're all still really struggling in the wake of my mom's death. Like all my other siblings, I know now that they are in therapy for the first time too. Oh, good. That's great news. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that you all actually have a shared reality of taking actions. I mean, you're going to look at it however you wish to look at it for you. You know, whatever this experience is for you. I can't tell you to look at where you found this beautiful contribution to the world through this adversity of helping others. And 
this new hat you've put on in life. This is, to me, a beautiful journey of taking something that is hard and finding purpose and growth out of it. Yeah. And you mentioned that this is a sad thing, but I think it's only sad if you see it that way. It is just a thing that is. What you've gone through and what you've accomplished shows a real strength, and you should be proud of yourself. Even the vulnerability you are showing us takes strength. It all speaks to knowing who you are. You aren't crazy or disabled. We all have issues, but you turned everything around in a really positive way. And back to the idea of friendships and romantic partners, I think that is a very attractive quality. I think you should be even more confident now and maybe just change the narrative you're telling yourself. I would say two things. Number one, there's so much complexity you've gone through. Find the beauty of the simplicities. Mm. And there is such beauty in simplicity. And you have the right to find beauty in areas of your life. Find those truths that are simple, that are yours. And mm. those are going to be so bolstering to you. And also, how inspiring is this story to tell your family that you like training and getting educated in this new area that is like beautiful. And might that be so uplifting to them, your pride? You know, it's sort of like you get what you put your attention on. If you sit there going, I have a mental illness, I don't know where that leads in terms of bolstering your yourself. Yeah, and who you are. Yeah, I think you're an artist. We are all not mm -hmm. like everybody else. That is a true fact. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I always feel not quite right around anybody. I think as artists, we are always viewing things differently. We are looking at things outside the box. And you have, in such a short amount of time, taken a very difficult situation and converted it, like the artist that you are, mm -hmm. into this purpose and a new chapter in your life that enhances yourself and others. That is so not victim. It is so strong. I'm so impressed. Mm -hmm. I do understand what you're saying on the social thing. You know, look at bigotry is bigotry is big. I mean, people can be awful. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And you've already gone through chapter one of running into bigots mm -hmm. and you have beautiful wings from that. So I think you put your attention on how amazing you are and every single thing, which is many of how many rightnesses there are about you. There's so much right about you. And I think that in your own view of yourself and in your discourse with others, it's all about what's right because mm -hmm. there's a lot. There are so many things we can use as our identifiers. And you are an artist, like Jenna said. You are the protector of that little girl that was growing up that was lonely, which makes you empathetic. You are all of these complicated things like all of us are. It's an important part of who you are, but none of these things have to singularly define us in any way. And I just think you're incredibly 
strong to be doing what you're doing. And I'm not sure that Jenna and I can necessarily tell you when the timing is right to tell everyone, you know, like, I don't think you have to put that pressure. I think you'll feel it. Okay. You'll feel it with somebody you trust. You know, maybe there's a close friend that you are missing more than others that you could call and say, hey, I miss you. I'm sorry I've retreated. There's been so much, but I would really love to talk with you because I miss you and I love you. And I've just had a heck of a year. Yeah. You know, like it just has to be Mm -hmm. one. Start with one. (laughs) Yeah. the, The one person that you think really is the person you have the best conversations with. Start there. And then if it is comfortable, if the timing is right and you feel safe and protected, maybe you could tell a sibling of yours if you're trusting of this. The thing that made me think about that is if you guys are all introverted, there could also be a link. And it's so great that they are being able to talk out their problems with other people. You may find a more open situation than you ever have before. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having said that, this can be as public or as private as you want. This is all yours. And I think it's a gift that you have people in your life that you sought people out that are helping you discover more of yourself. There has to be relief sort of in talking about it with other people, I would think. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm kind of afraid of like finding potential friends and then, you know, going along and like discovering stuff about each other and then like divulging something like this and then like feeling that pushback maybe like yeah I'm afraid of encountering prejudice mostly because I'm still feeling that prejudice like against myself you have to reconcile for yourself you have to bolster and boost you have to like be patient and kind to yourself and this may sound very mild but sometimes the most mild approaches can be very very healing You have had a lot of experiences that have introverted your attention onto yourself and the aspects of yourself that are very inward looking, right? Which Mm -hmm. is good to do sometimes. And you learned some things, but you also have to balance with getting your attention extroverted. And when there's been so many challenging experiences that introvert, I can't recommend enough going out and taking walks, but not taking walks where you're staring at the ground, but taking walks where your phone's in the pocket, genuinely for yourself, connect and be present in the environment that you are in, not the memories, the thoughts. Those aren't your present time environment. They're like past. And we're so good at beating ourselves up. Yeah. Like find and notice things in your environment notice things you never noticed before and know that you're noticing them and do that for as long, whether that's 15 minutes or two hours or more until you feel a little better. That is such great advice. I used to take like four hour walks all around New York. It was awesome for me. Yeah. Because I think that'll help calibrate some of the, the anguish you know, okay, yeah, that feels like it's sucking you alive. You know what I mean? Where there's more of it engulfing you than there is of you putting energy outward into the world. And you can shift that ratio by doing things that engage your body 
in the present time environment. Things that make you touch and connect can be very, very extroverting and bring a lot of relief. I think part of my problem in like feeling so uncomfortable and like feeling like like I'm not at home in my body in terms of my character and my story, you know, like I self-identified as an actor for so long. That was my thing. I was like, I am an actor. This is my whole life. Like, this is everything about me. It's my therapy. It's my passion. It's my purpose. Like when I would go out and meet people, it was like only actors. And so I really want to just like try different things and like find other interests, but I don't, I don't really know where to start. But then also like, how do I introduce myself as someone who like, I have no idea who I am. Like, what are my interests? Who am I? Before I was just like actor, 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 you know? You need to hang out like with some carpenters and plumbers. (laughs) 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 Some very uncomplicated, unegotistical, unneurotic people. People who view (laughs) their job as a job as opposed to their identity, you know? Yeah, yeah. Something I do because I just love people and I love hearing people's stories Wherever I go, I ask people all about their lives. If I'm standing in line in a bathroom, like, so what do you do? Where are you from? What do you, oh yeah, what are you really good at? And I get very interested in hearing other people's stories and people do, when they see someone is genuinely interested, they talk and they will tell you. And there is something unbelievably connecting and calming to engaging with someone. It like enhances your brotherhood with mankind. Totally. To engage with total strangers and hear their stories. Mm -hmm. And it gets you out of your own head. It makes you see that everybody is going through something. And it's very comforting in that way, but it's also really inspiring. Also, I would recommend making a list for yourself of everything you're really good at. I love that idea, Jenna. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) I love it when you smile, Margaret. And it's, I see the weight and I want to help you focus on the joy. You know, I want you to be able to view this as one of the harder years of your life, but also a gift because you are learning more about yourself. And Margaret, I do think that like probably most of us are undiagnosed to a degree. You know what I mean? I think so too. You're not alone. Yeah. You were just smart and you were proactive in your own life. Oh, thanks. I would hope there's a part of you that does know you are a gift. You radiate light. Not everybody does. So I think that you can acknowledge these things that have been given to you, uh, these experiences, these labels, these new awarenesses, however you wish to look at it and navigate your way through it. If the label helps you, if you need to chuck the label, but just know the phenomena, however you frame it for yourself, it's your life. And you have at your hands the ability to enhance your life every single day to make it better for you in the way that you know sparks joy, (laughs) to quote Marie Kondo. But sparks joy for you, that's your right to find and know your place for yourself and how you're going to contribute your life force to this place. And you are already doing it. So it's a matter of bolstering it to the point where you know you're feeling really fucking good in your own skin because you're awesome. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks. And like I said before, I've noticed that a lot of people are putting a lot of pressure on themselves right now to get things just figured out. Yeah. And life doesn't quite work that way. 
I would try to, like Jenna said, train your brain to focus on the small joys and the big joys and just force yourself to keep it there as much as you can. You don't necessarily need to tell your siblings or your dad or anybody. You're the same person they've always known. Mm -hmm. You just know a little more about yourself. And you can keep that as intimate as you want. Or find a close friend, reach out to them. If they're like, fuck you, you haven't called me in a year, then they're not your friend. You know, that's a person that you don't lean on at all. Yeah. I mean, you're not doing that to other people, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So start slowly. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. You've been through a lot. Nurture yourself for a minute. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> just remember to keep smiling. And part of that smile will infiltrate a little bit, just a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and don't worry about forming immediate new friendships. You've got enough on your plate for the moment. Just do the small things. Yeah, yeah. those are really good things. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being so open with us. And I look at all these changes as very hopeful, I think. Mm. You know, I really do. And I totally understand the background you came from in terms of a family's view on sort of mental health. You don't have to be absolute about any of your identities, you know? Yeah. Just Margaret is awesome. And I hope that we gave you words of comfort, Margaret. Yeah, yeah. I think you've given me some good pointers. I like the list thing. Yeah, I think I have been in my head too much for way too long, you know. And so I think, um, yeah, just not labeling myself too much and seeing myself outside of those things that I've attached to myself. And this has been really great because, you know, I guess I've been divulging all of this stuff to my therapist for like almost two years now. And sometimes it can feel like, I just wanted to talk to like a friend and just get like unqualified advice. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, yeah, no, this has been really good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And don't forget that that little girl that you feel sad for is the empathetic person that you are today. That's what makes you be able to connect with those kids. You can grieve for her a little bit, but appreciate the idea that you're strong enough, you survived like this, 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 and this, and it made you a more whole person. Yeah. And that's of huge value. Margaret, thank you. I know we're going to get a lot of letters with people who really understand what you're going through and just know you're not alone Mm -hmm. and don't put too much pressure on yourself. I love you and I can't thank you enough. Yeah, I just really appreciate you being as strong as you are. Thank you. Other people will hear this and they'll be inspired by you. Thank you. Bye, Margaret. I'm thinking about you. You gave the best advice. She was so sweet. My goodness. Lovely. I can't thank you enough. So we can check out Kicking and Screaming, your podcast. Yep. Dharma and Greg on Hulu and Fear the Walking Dead. On AMC. Yeah. It will return to AMC and AMC Plus in mid-April. Is there anything else that we should talk about before I let you go? Just I love everybody out there and I wish the best for everyone to find joy and comfort this year and find their footing in whatever way they can. I just wish that for everybody. Thank you, Jenna, so much. This has just been awesome. I really, really appreciate it. You are 
lovely. And thank you. It's been really fun sharing this time with you. Thanks so much, Jenna. Okay, have a great rest of your day. Okay. All right, bye. See you later, alligator. Bye.